listening to episode 51, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today we're continuing our conversation with Chuck DeGroat. Chuck DeGroat is Professor of Counseling and Christian Spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and co-founder and a senior fellow at Newbegin House of Studies in San Francisco. He's a licensed therapist, author, retreat leader, and spiritual director, and he spent the last 20-plus years in a dynamic combination of pastoral ministry, seminary teaching, and clinical counseling. His books are practical and pastoral meeting readers at the intersection of our spiritual journeys and the very real struggles we experience. When you think of a narcissist, you probably picture a person who is self-obsessed and always looking at themselves. But the irony is that narcissists aren't actually looking at themselves, at least not their true selves. Narcissists are afraid to be vulnerable and do the deep work that is required of disciples. Accepting the call to follow Christ means that we will have to do deep soul-searching as God shows us sinful parts of ourselves we didn't know we had. And this work is painful at times, but it's necessary in order to throw off the chains of sin and to accept the easy yoke of Jesus. But as Chuck explains in this chapter, a narcissist is unwilling to look at themselves to do this sort of work. There are deep wounds that they are trying to hide. So instead of being honest with themselves or with others about the struggles they face, they cover them up with a false vulnerability that only fuels their narcissism. I really enjoy Alfred Adler's view of just the human condition. We're all (laughs) struggling to find a sense of superiority because we feel inferior. Mm. And at least from my, my observation, both the, the charismatic narcissist and the codependent really just have identity issues where yeah. they feel some sense of shame or insecurity. One bolsters it by trying to make themselves f- be the most important thing in the room. And yes. the other one looks for it by trying to have someone else validate them as a, yeah. as a person in their identity. And so I think yeah. in the end, it all comes down to a lack of understanding our identity yeah. who we are in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think I'm glad you brought it back around to that because I think all of these are, I'll sometimes call them uh, union substitutes. We're all longing for union and communion. Uh, we're all longing for oneness and, and for worthiness in Christ, you know, and, um, and, and Augustine, you go way back to Augustine, you know, Augustine said, God, you are more near to me than I am to myself. Like God is present. It's we who've gone for a walk. It's we who've gone away. It's mm-hmm. we who are looking here and here and here. And Oh, that looks pretty. And that looks nice. And that, you know, G.K. Chesterton said that the adulterer looks for God in a brothel. Mm-hmm. Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, said that the alcoholic looks for God in a bottle. We're all sort of searching for the transcendent, you know. And even, even those of us who know our theology really well, you know, who talk discipleship for a living, like I do, I just taught a course this past year mm-hmm. on discipleship, who talk about our deep identity in Christ and then go looking for it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, you know, let's, let's be honest about it. Uh, I, I think if we're more honest about it and the places where we go looking, 
then then maybe maybe the church does have a chance for some healing around this. Yeah. So you bring up something really good, and you've just demonstrated it with vulnerability. Um, before I would have said, and we've actually been talking about it recently on the podcast with the last uh, last couple guests about this idea of vulnerability and how important it can be to help create spaces of vulnerability so that we can, you know, open ourselves up and, and get to know each other. It's a great way of practicing our step three of walk with someone to really, you know, sometimes you have to, as a leader, you need to open up yourself first to again, create a safe environment to, to, yeah. to invite others to, yeah. uh, you know, engage. But one of the things that's really, really interesting about it, these narcissistic personalities is that they can use a false sense of vulnerability to draw someone in even yeah. further. And so yeah. you create a false sense of, of safety and you call it phone or phone or ability. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's faux. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. So how do you navigate that? Because again, like, it seems like vulnerability should be the answer here. Like, yeah, yeah. This was a tough one for me. And, um, you know, when I first got into doing this work of counseling and past, well, pastoring first, that was my first call. Um, and the counseling assessments and the other things that kind of came along with that, uh, what we saw was real resistance and, and we saw the classic symptoms of narcissism. And then I started checking this with people maybe like 10, I always say 10 years ago, it could have been now 12 or 13 or 15, but where, where folks uh, began to talk about how the gospel changes me and how I, you know, I'm kind of drinking deep of the gospel and, and my sin is always before me and I'm so unrighteous and I'm such a sinner. And, um, and that was becoming confusing for people because I'd be doing this work and they'd say, but my pastor says every week I'm, I'm the, such a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a... And and yet, when we're behind closed doors, we're, when we're in the staff meeting, you don't get any of that. What you get is the bullying, the manipulation. Why is there such a contradiction? And so I started putting words and testing out some of this theory with, with folks, with churches, with friends, with other counselors, and seeing some of these signs of what you call vulnerability, right? These, this idea that it's, it's a kind of fake vulnerability. It uses language that sort of has the pretense of... Yeah, I'm bad too. I struggle too. But it's never, I often say one of the chief characteristics is it's never really in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And so one of my big questions is how do you experience me? Because I think if someone can come to me and say, Chuck, you you feel really distant right now to me. Well, that's really important. But um, they never, they can never address it in the present moment. Oh yeah, I struggled with, I, I struggled with sexual addiction years ago. But it's never like, yeah, even even today, I, I still struggle to um, to to connect with people in healthy ways, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's a really sort of fake pre pretense of vulnerability. Yeah. So that brings up something. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I, I I know pastors really struggle with vulnerability in general with their congregation because again, they're the pastor. They have to, or they at least feel like they have to put on sort of an air of, you know perfection or there is at least an expectation people to measure will, up people to listen a, to me if i'm not perfect yeah exactly because otherwise i don't have something to say how do you go about then maybe yourself and then I, i'd say counseling other pastors to be vulnerable but in a way that there's still healthy boundaries there yeah that's a great question and i think it's a tricky question because i i don't think that pastors are called to be vulnerable with the deepest 
secrets of their lives from the pulpit, right? And uh, let alone in a staff meeting. I, I do think that true vulnerability is saved for, you know, the closest two or three people in your life. So I think that's a really important thing. I do think I like to talk about the the spectrum of openness to vulnerability. And I think that openness um, is a form of vulnerability that doesn't, you know, I'm not going to say right now, I'm not going to talk to you about the things that I talk to John and Kyle about every Wednesday afternoon, my two closest friends. Yeah. I, I might share some things as vulnerably as I can about my own struggles with this and how I've been drawn into the orbit of narcissists. Uh, I'm not telling you the most intimate details of my life, but I'm I'm sharing something that's a, you know, I realize actually is like a, that's that's on my radar. That that could be an ongoing struggle for me, you know, um, and so it's it's about showing up in the present moment with with some degree of honesty, humility, curiosity. Um, the, I think that that draws us together. Mm-hmm. I think that that connects us. You know, when you when you show up in the way that you do in this podcast, and if I show up the way I do, hopefully. In some strange way, even across these, you know, the radio waves or whatever we've got going on right now, we feel connected to one another. Um, and that that's really important. I mean, I think that's that's kind of like that's who we were made to be. That's a kind of garden grown image of God. That's the garden grown image of God's stuff that makes us who we are. Can you go too far in the other direction with this, yeah. like trying to be too conscious? Because so like sometimes I feel that I am too I, I obsess over how I come off to other people, like in you know, in a podcast like this or a conversation. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a decent amount that j- for good content creation, right? You you do have to always yeah. be in, improving. But if curiosity, right, is one of those good cornerstones and maybe pathways for for healing, to say what yeah. what am I really doing here, you yeah. know, and doing that deep work. Can you go overboard with that though? Because again, to me, it yeah. feels like that's a narcissistic tendency to say, "Yeah," because I'm always looking at myself. <laughs> so that's you know that's really the paradox, right? So um, narcissists don't look at themselves, and that, that's what's really uh, fascinating about this phenomenon. They they're the least curious about what's going on inside, um, and yet paradoxically, they are self-consumed. They can't get out of themselves. They're only, I mean, they, they sort of orbit around themselves. They can't, they can't cross the bridge, cross the barrier to hear you, to empathize with you, to get into your world, to get into your experience, you know? And whereas when we talk about someone who's done his or her inner work, we talk about a kind of beautiful self-forgetfulness. Um, and that doesn't mean that you, uh, you ignore yourself, it means that you've done the work in such a way that you're freed from some of that burden. And and now self-forgetfulness, you can really love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, and so that's the beauty of it. And that's, you know, good therapy. I always tell people when I'm doing therapy, um, I should work myself out of a job. Too many therapists make their clients dependent on them, you know, and then you're seeing them like 13 years later. Um, I don't mind seeing people maybe once a month or eight weeks or every six months or something like that. But now I should work myself out of a job so that you feel like I don't I don't necessarily need you. I've done some of my work, Chuck. And uh, now I feel like I can go out and kind of connect to others and do the work in real life. Beautiful self-forgetfulness is the antithesis of vulnerability. We all in some way or another have struggled with a sense of inferiority a feeling that we're less than or worthless in some way. Even the most dedicated narcissist can use their focus on self 
to cover a sense of insecurity. One of the ways narcissists and those with narcissistic tendencies like to hide their insecurities is with a fake vulnerability. It's a way of revealing old or vague shortcomings to keep the focus off their current actions. When done under the guise of confession or authenticity, this can be dangerous for the life of the church, especially if closed doors reveal a different story. I want to encourage you to wrestle with this idea in your own life today. If you can summon the courage, ask one of your most trusted friends the question Chuck mentioned. How do you experience me? Ask your friend for honest feedback and be willing to take what they say seriously. As you work to uncover your true identity in Christ, this work toward true vulnerability and authenticity is the only way to combat vulnerability. And the only way to experience God's grace for who you are in the present moment. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Chuck's work, check out chuckdegroat.net. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Chuck walks through the way the Enneagram helps us understand narcissism. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.